but honestly, it is, it is such a powerful testimony that as Alan has been the youth pastor here for, I guess, five years that he's been in uh, Impact, and you know, me sharing on a winter retreat maybe four winters ago or so, and then now seeing young people who are on that winter retreat with me now here faithfully serving the Lord. What a testimony of, of Alan's just faithfulness to teaching the youth here, raising up and empowering youth uh, to serve the Lord. So it, it brings me such joy to see just the fruit in this ministry over the years. And with that, I'm going to share with you guys tonight. And as I see, again, young people serving the Lord, you guys have such awesome leaders here at Impact. They're young. They've got energy. They love Jesus. They were in these seats that you guys are sitting in four or five years ago. And I pray that as you see your leaders faithfully serving the Lord and serving you guys, that you guys would be encouraged and empowered to be used by God. And I believe that as we search in the scriptures tonight, we're going to see so many examples of God using young people. So if you would, let's pray, and then we're going to dig into the word Father, we thank you so much for your presence in this place tonight. We thank you for the worship, as sweet as that was. Lord, we desire you to be glorified. We desire to draw closer to you and that our lives would be used for great things for your glory. May you speak to us tonight and lead us, Father, to just a deeper walk with you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. So, for you guys that don't know me, I'm a pastor down at Cornerstone Calvary Chapel, which is in Howell, New Jersey. I am actually from Middlesex County originally. Grew up in New Brunswick. Anybody from New Brunswick here? Nobody from New Brunswick. Well, New Brunswick's not too far away. Uh, had a lot of friends from Old Bridge, ended up down in Monmouth County, now live in Ocean County, and one of the pastors at Cornerstone Calvary Chapel was a youth pastor for seven years and now serving our children's ministry and our young adults ministry. So have a huge heart for young people. Nothing brings me greater joy to, than seeing young people serving the Lord and following the Lord, and I desire to lead you guys in that very thing tonight, that I would encourage you as young people to use your life to serve the Lord. The title of my message tonight is, I want my life to matter. I want my life to matter. And to share with you a little bit of my past, my story, as you know, now I'm a pastor and you know, have the privilege to teach young people. You know, this wasn't always so in my life. See, as you guys are now in a Bible study, some of you 15, 16, 17 years old, I see a lot of you taking notes, amen for that. 
teachable, desiring to grow in the Lord. Let me tell you where I was not when I was your age, and that's in a Bible study. See, I didn't get saved until I was 20 years old. And something happened when I was 18 that really started my life in the direction towards God. And it was a sobering realization that I had. I was 18 years old, and by the time I had graduated high school and been a year out of high school, I had been pretty strung out on drugs. And at 18 years old, I'm hanging out with a friend of mine's uncle. His name was Marty. And he was in his late 50s, Marty. He was a Vietnam veteran. And I remember using drugs with Marty on a regular basis. And Marty, a Vietnam veteran, had lived quite a life, had many radical stories. And I remember one day, as clear as it was yesterday, a day that me, Marty, were using enough drugs to kill a large animal. Marty sharing story after story, and you know, it dawned on me that Marty got strung out on drugs when he was 18 years old in Vietnam, and now, 30 years later, still strung out on drugs. And it was a sobering realization that I had that this was not what my life was intended for. I wanted my life to matter. And the path that I was walking was not what my life was intended for. And no, I did not get saved at that moment. It was a few years later that I eventually got saved. But it was that moment that got me on the right track that I started seeing change happen in my life. And maybe you haven't had a sobering realization that you're not living your life how it had been originally intended for. But I'm sure a lot of you sitting here today can think and ponder this. Are you living your life how it was meant to be lived. I want you to ponder that. The way I'm living now is not what my life was meant for. Could you relate to me when I was 18 years old? Where are you at in your life? Where are you at in your walk with the Lord? As I'm saying these things, is that hitting home for some of you? And my question for you is, at what point in your life will your life start to leave a mark on this world? Are you waiting until you're an adult to start living your life for the Lord, to start truly devoting yourself to be used for God's purposes? 
Are you somebody that maybe uses the excuse, well, I'm just a kid, I'm just a youth. I mean, really, what can I do? What can I offer? I've got too much going on, too much in my life. I mean, really, what can I do? I mean, is that you? Are you in those shoes right now? Well, let's take a look. We're going to turn to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand, and we've got some leaders that are going to walk around and help you with a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, please keep one of these Bibles. They're not mine, so please keep them, take them. And if Alan needs some more, then Joe will gladly purchase them because he's such a generous guy. So turn with me, Ecclesiastes, and we're going to take a look, chapter 11. Chapter 11. You know, Solomon, in writing Ecclesiastes, we think of Solomon and we think of the wisest man to ever walk the face of the earth. We think of the most wealthy man. He had everything. He ruled one of the greatest nations to ever reign on the earth in its golden years. Solomon, it's interesting to think how the wisest man in the world made some of the greatest mistakes that we see in Scripture. Now, writing Ecclesiastes, he's later in years, he's an older man, and he's reflecting back on how so much of his life was a waste. So many of the things that he sought after were a waste. And he's pondering back, and he's going through topic after topic of the typical person's life, and he's sharing with us that if we live our lives in such a way, chasing after the things of this world, we're going to find out that it is vanity or it is meaningless. We want our lives to matter, and may we not chase after things that are meaningless. And he comes to this topic of youth, the topic of being young, being a young person, and we read in verses 9, 10, he says this, Rejoice, O man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that all these God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth. Solomon is pondering back. He's thinking back. He's maybe thinking of some of his kids and how so easily young people can waste their youth and waste that time in their lives chasing after fun 
chasing after hobbies, chasing after things of this world. He's saying, you, O young person, rejoice in your youth. Be glad that you're young. Enjoy your youth. Let's be realistic. There is no time or no point in your life where you're going to have as much fun as when you're young. Being a youth is awesome. Not having responsibility is amazing. There's a purity within your young or youthful days that you can rejoice in. That you will look back when you get older and you will remember how much fun you had and how much you enjoyed life as a young person. Rejoice in your youth. Enjoy it. But if we chase after the, the enjoyments of being a youth and the things that this world has to offer as a youth, we need to understand that that mentality and mindset has consequences. That they will eventually come under the judgment of God. And he says there, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Remember your creator. Don't just chase after what's fun. Don't just live for the moment. Live for whatever's in front of you. You know what? I'm young. I can be stupid. I can make mistakes. I've got the rest of my life to fix it. I mean, hey, Colin, you were all strung out on drugs when you were my age, and you're doing pretty well for yourself. Why not? Let me just enjoy my youth. I'll figure out the things of the Lord, and I will reconcile those things when I get older. Because right now, it really doesn't matter. I'm just a youth. I'm young. I can make mistakes. I've got time. See, Solomon is saying, by no means should we have that mentality. Remember your Creator when you're young. Seek the Lord in your youth. Establish that habit now, and that will be a habit that will carry into the rest of your life. See, what I, I love that Solomon is addressing here is that there's something fundamentally important about seeking the Lord, especially when you're young. Well, let me explain why. See, the things that you practice now will be habits for your future. Did you hear that? Things you practice now will be habits for your future. Now, here's the thing. If you practice giving into the flesh, indulging in the sin, if you practice those things now, let me tell you, those will be habits of your future. The sin might look, be, look different. The temptations might look different. But you will train yourself to give into the flesh, and that will be a habit that you're going to have for your future. See, this is the thing about habits, is they're both good and bad. See, we can establish bad habits in our youth but we can also establish good habits. 
See, if you discipline yourself to be in the Word of God on a daily basis now, that's going to be a habit that will carry on for the rest of your lives. Prayer, worship, serving. See, these are habits that you can establish now as youth. And they will carry in to the rest of your life. Let me give you the example of me and my wife. My wife's name is Joanna. We've been married for six years. We met in the church. She is far better at following Jesus than I am. I'll admit it. She loves the Lord. And when she was 15 and 16, she was in youth group. She was serving the Lord. She was disciplining herself in prayer and, and reading the Word and serving God. See, that's what she was doing when, I, when she was 16. Me, on the other hand, I was training myself how to indulge into whatever feels good. I was a non-believer. That's what I lived for when I was a youth. And see, now, years later, now that we're in our 30s, let me explain something. I still have bad habits from when I was a kid that are, in, in my eyes, so hard to break. Things that I bash my head, like, why can't I stop doing this? On my, my wife, on the other hand, it's like every morning, like an angel, she's in prayer. Probably praying for her husband that he would stop being such a guy who... <laughs> anyway, another story, another teaching. But she has trained herself as a youth and now has habits that I admire about her. My wife, without fail in the morning, is in the Word of God. Without fail is in prayer. Me, I'm hitting the alarm clock, struggling to wake up. Why? Because that was habits I trained when I was your age. Things we practice now as youth are going to be habits we're going to have in the future. What kind of habits are you training yourself in? Don't waste your youth. Make it matter now. See, we, we, we think when we're young, when I drive, then I will. And when I get a job and have my own money, then I will. And when I'm no longer under my parents' rules, then I will. And what we start to do is, is come up with reasons and, and things that are holding us back. If only my life looked like this, then I would. But I challenge you tonight, make your life matter now. Even if it's in just small ways. Because those small ways are going to be such powerful, impactful habits that you're going to have for the rest of your life. I've seen this in my wife, and I admire it. I, I admire it so much about her. See, we see in the Word of God, time and time again, that God has such a heart and desire for young people. Our Lord wants to use young people. And I think scripturally speaking, we see 
time and time again examples of God using young people, people your age, to do radical things on this earth. Turn with me. We're going to take a look in Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah. We're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to read verses 4 through 8, Jeremiah chapter 1. That is Old Testament, if you are wondering. If you hit Matthew, you went too far. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 8 says this, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. See, we read this story in Jeremiah, and we see the way God so confidently speaks into this young person's life. And as we read this story, may we be encouraged never to use the excuse, well, I'm just a youth but may we be encouraged and empowered by the Lord. See, when you are in your mother's womb, 15, 16, 17 years ago, God knew the purposes that he had for you. See, you weren't a mistake. You were not a mistake to God. He created you with a purpose in mind as he created Jeremiah. And he says, I made you a prophet to the nations. He created you with a specific purpose in mind. And he desires your life here to matter. He desires you to leave your mark on this world. He created you for a purpose. And may our response not be, well, Lord, I'm just a youth. I cannot, I, well, what can I say? What can I do? I don't know anything. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a youth, Lord. But may this verse encourage us. May we be encouraged that God uses young people that God wants to use young people. You look at the 12 men that Jesus called, hardly men. They were all young. John was the same age as most of you, and he was called to lay down his life and follow Christ. At your age, the Messiah said, you follow me.
to John, your age. We think of Mary. At your age, ladies, she was used by the Lord. She was given a job. God had a plan for her, and her youth, her age, did not make a difference. We think of Caleb and Joshua in the Old Testament, two young men who saw the giants in the land. All the other spies, no way, no how, were like grasshoppers compared to these giants. Caleb and Joshua were fearless men, men who knew the Lord's power and knew what the Lord could do. We think of David as a young boy taking down Goliath, fearless. We think of so many people in the Bible. Joseph, the youngest son, doing such radical things in the nation of Egypt at a young age. A man of character, a man with conviction. We see these examples in the scripture of God looking down and seeing somebody who's 15, 16, 17 years old and saying, yeah, that's the perfect person for the job. That's the perfect person for the task that I have. See, there's a reason why young people are people that God so willingly and loves to use. See, young people have energy that older people don't. You've got energy. You're excited. I've, I've never seen old people get excited like young people over pointless things. You guys are so excited to sing worship. See, our worship nights at Cornerstone, the fold worship, when you guys come out and our young adults come out, and we just are so excited to worship the Lord. We have so much energy in our worship. Let me tell you something. Worship on Sunday mornings versus worship at the fold, night and day difference. We have energy. Let's be realistic. And God loves that energy. God loves that excitement. See, a characteristic of a healthy church is the energy of young people in that church. See, churches with young people are a dying breed. I've talked to many pastors who just don't have young people in their church. And they talk about how little life they have and how little energy they have. I love the compliments I get from parents when they come to our church and say, wow, this is a church with so many young people and so much energy. And Calvary Chapel Old Bridge 
is a church that has energy. Why? Because it has young people who are passionate about Jesus. Young people have energy. Young people are willing. We think of David going up against Goliath. There was no other man in the army who was willing to go up against Goliath. But you have this kid who comes with a slingshot willing to go up against the giant. When we put an announcement about something going on at the church where we need servants for something, or it's, it's always young people who come. We always get this overwhelming majority of young people to show up to our events, to our, to our outreaches and things. Why? Because young people are just so willing. We don't have the things that hold us back from serving, that hold us back from being fully devoted to the Lord. See, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians. It's better not to marry, because when you get married, you have the worries of the world. One day you're going to grow up, and you're going to get married. You're going to have kids, and it's going to dawn on you, man, how sweet it was when I was young and had all the time in the world to serve the Lord. One day it will dawn on you that when you have responsibilities later in life, they will hold you back from devoting yourself fully to just serving the Lord. See, the Lord loves young people because they're so willing. They're teachable. They are teachable. As you've heard the saying, it's, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. See, I've been in meetings and counseling before where I have to rebuke a grown man about his lifestyle. Let me tell you something. It's not easy to tell a grown man they're living in sin or they need to change their lives. There's typically a, 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 a kind of a, an unwillingness to receive it. There's typically a, a pushing back or a pride that justifies their actions. And I'm not saying all the time, but I'm saying when I share with an older person something they need to change, it's a lot harder than when I slap around a youth and say, you need to change. And they're like, yeah, you're right. I'm blowing it. <laughs> you're teachable at a young age. You're formidable. You're willing to receive correction. I believe that is one of the biggest reasons Jesus chose 12 young men was because of their teachable spirit. And God gets the glory. Let's be realistic. If you do something powerful and radical and, and, and impactful, nobody's going to go, wow, look how, look how amazing you are. Look how awesome you are. Look how great of a thing you did. Let's be realistic. When a young person does something powerful and radical, everyone looks at it and goes, man, that had to have been the Lord. I think of Spurgeon. Spurgeon was pastoring the largest church in England by the time he was 19 years old. You look at that testimony of Spurgeon's life and you go, there is no explanation but a supernatural work of the Spirit of God in his life. Think of 
Other men, like Greg Laurie, 19 years old, planning a Calvary Chapel, in his 20s, becoming one of the greatest evangelists that come out of the Calvary Chapel movement. And that all started when he was 15, 16 years old, just faithfully preaching the gospel in his high school. And people looked on his life and go, their only explanation is the Lord. To him be the glory. See, when young people serve the Lord, he gets all the glory. Young people have vision. I love Acts 2.17, if you would, just turn there with me for a moment. Acts 2.17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, God says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and young men shall see visions. See, young people can see the Lord do awesome things through the power of His Spirit. Young people see visions. And I love how young people always have such awesome vision. Calvary Chapel was a movement of young men with vision. And they took the church and its liturgical, legalistic ways, and they flipped it upside down. And it was a bunch of young hippies that nobody would have ever expect would have done such a radical work of the Spirit. It was young people. See, and these pastors are now men with gray hair imparting authority to young people. Don't you love it that you're in a church that has empowered young people like Alan and Brian Higgins? to be the vision for the future of this church? See, I'm so encouraged that I'm a part of a church movement that empowers young people and allows young people to run with the vision that they have. I was so encouraged to see Joe teach a Wednesday night service that Pastor Lloyd would empower a young person like Joe to teach such a large Wednesday night ministry. I mean, isn't that, aren't you encouraged by that? That young people are empowered in this church. That young people have been empowered through the Calvary Chapel movement since it started. Because young people are the ones who have vision. Young people can think outside the box and have great vision to see the Lord do great things. To an extent, it might be naiveness. You're not tainted yet. You're not cynical yet. You haven't quite seen how bad this world can be and how hard things can be to get accomplished. It might be a little bit of a naiveness. But young people typically will have great vision. 
And God can use that vision to do such radical things. Calvary Chapel is such an example of that. See, there's a reason Jesus called young men to the ministry. See, the older religious leaders of the day weren't willing to go and to do the things that Jesus called them to. But the young men were teachable, were humble, were willing, had the vision, and had the energy to impact the world like the Jewish people had never seen before. We have so many biblical stories of God using young people. And maybe you're sitting here with me tonight and you're saying, hey, Pastor Colin, I'm willing. I want to be used by the Lord. I want my life to matter. But I just don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. I don't know what the Lord's will is for my life. I'm waiting for the Lord to tell me. I'm waiting to hear God's voice. The Bible says, if we would draw near to God, He'll draw near to us. See, we need to take a step of faith. If you're waiting on God, if you're waiting for Him to move, you're going to be waiting for a long time. The Bible calls us to take a step. See, salvation doesn't come until we take that step of faith and put our trust in Jesus. It always requires us to take that step of faith. How does the Lord want to use me? How does the Lord want to use my life? Well, I would challenge you, take a step of faith and let him use you where you're at right now. You in a public school? Amen. Greg Laurie learned to be an evangelist in his school. Greg Laurie started when he was your age preaching the gospel in his school. You've got friends in your neighborhood that don't know the Lord, start impacting them. Start allowing God to use you in your sphere of influence. Going to Thanksgiving next Thursday. Everyone looking forward to Thanksgiving? Does anyone like Thanksgiving? I love Thanksgiving. You know, it's the one holiday that retailers have still yet to figure out how they can make money off of. It's a holiday that really is about family. It's, a, it's the one holiday, the one day of the year that, that people actually devote to being thankful. Unfortunately, the other 363 days, they whine and moan, but one day we're thankful. Amen. You're going to Thanksgiving dinner. Do you have cousins that don't know the Lord? You have people around you, family members that don't know the Lord? Start making your mark where you're at and where you can influence now at your age, wherever that is. It doesn't matter. Just start. Take that step of faith.
Stop waiting for God and copping out and saying, well, when the Lord tells me, then I'll go. Take a step of faith. See, we can get so bogged down with the unknown and neglect the things that we're certain about. We're waiting for God to reveal the unknown to us, to tell us this big grand plan of his will for our lives. And we can neglect the little things that we know, that we're called to, that we know without a shadow of a doubt is his will for our lives. Stop waiting and take a step. You might say, well, Colin, I'm willing to take a step. I want to let God use my life and make my life matter. I want to be an impact in my world around me. I'm afraid. I don't know what to say. I don't have the words. I'm still struggling with sin. I've asked God to reveal, to to take this sin from my life. I've asked God to change me. I've asked God to transform me. I'm still dealing with my own troubles. How am I supposed to impact the world? How am I supposed to let God use me when he hasn't even transformed my life? You know, and this is ultimately when you walk through or out these doors tonight, this is going to be the difference. If you're going to really change or if you're going to walk out the same person you were the day you walked in. Is the Spirit of the Lord upon your life? See, if God's going to use us, we need a supernatural work of the Spirit. See, when you get older, you can depend on training, you can depend on knowledge, you can depend on elegance of speech, See, you can depend on those things when you get older. Not that you should, but you can. Many people in the Christian world do. They depend on the tangible things and their abilities and and talents more than the supernatural work of the Spirit. But when you're young, if you're going to be used by God, see, you don't have really any abilities. You haven't learned them yet. You you really don't have the ability to do the thing, the, the thing that only the Spirit can do in your life, in you and through you. You need a supernatural work of the Spirit in your life. You know, as we see the disciples, Acts 1.8, we see the Spirit of the Lord come upon them. And they go from ordinary men to extraordinary by the power of the Spirit. We see them going from men that couldn't stop fighting about who was the greatest. Men that couldn't stop putting their foot in their mouth. Men who had little self-control. Men who, who, when Jesus asked them to pray for him, fell asleep. 
men who were discouraged and weary and, and left Jesus to be delivered to the cross. Men who showed time and time again that apart from the Spirit, they were ineffective and unable to do what God had called them to do. See, it wasn't until the Spirit came upon them. It wasn't until they were baptized with the Spirit, as, as it's called in, in the Scriptures. It wasn't until that happened, that supernatural work of God, that they were able to be used for radical things for the glory of God. My question for you is, have you seen the Spirit of the God come upon you? Have you seen radical repentance in your life? Have you seen yourself become truly a new creation with new tendencies and new desires? Or are you the same person you were weeks, months, and years ago? Somebody who feels guilt-tripped every time they come and hear a Bible study into changing, but no serious change has happened yet. Are you somebody who keeps asking God, but nothing's happening? And my challenge to you tonight is, you cannot, nor will not, see your life matter until you allow the Spirit of the God, of the Lord, to control and be in your life. I'm going to flip through a few verses. Ephesians 3.20. Ephesians 3.20. I'll read that real quick. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. See, we desire to see God do exceedingly abundantly above anything we could ever ask or think, but it's only through the power, as it's put there, working in us. The Spirit of the Lord in our lives do you want to overcome the flesh? Are you struggling with sin in your life? Or have you been in bondage to sin and it's been habitual and you just don't have an answer to the sin in your life? Do you feel guilt and shame when you're around other believers because you know you're not right with the Lord? Take a look with me. Galatians 5, 6. It's the book back one. says this. 5.16, sorry. Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Did you hear that? See, if we would walk in the Spirit, if our lives would be submitted and walking with the Spirit of God, we're going to see the power that the flesh has over us diminish we're going to see it lose its power. And all of a sudden, we're going to start winning the battles over our flesh. But it's through the power of the Spirit in our lives. This is what I love about Scripture. It's clear as day in so many ways. See, God doesn't, when, when it comes to living our lives for him, he, he doesn't give us gray areas. 
with theology, there's gray areas. But when it comes to just practically living our lives out for the Lord, the Bible is so clear on these things that there needs to be a dependency on God's Spirit for us to live our lives according to God's plan. And I want to see a youth culture raised up in this state. There's no greater joy of mine when I see young people used of God. There's no greater joy in my life to see the young people, the young leaders you have, many of which I knew when they were youth groupers in these seats, just like you, now serving the Lord and letting God use their lives. My desire is to see a youth culture raised up in this state that is going to radically change the world. Jesus only needed 12 men submitted to him to do in this world something so radical it impacted the everything in history after it. Jesus only needed 12 young men. That's all he needed. 12. We've got 100. My question is, do you want to see God using you for greater works and greater things? Do you want to see bigger vision in this church and in this culture happen through God's, through God's moving of his, his Spirit in this place? I want to share with you something out of John 15. And this is something that so radically changed my prayer life. John 15, verses 7 and 8. It says this, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciple. How is the Father glorified in us? What does it say? For those of you that are not sleeping, what does it say? Bear much fruit. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. You hear that? See, my prayer life used to be this, this false meekness of, well, I really don't want to ask for big things because, I mean, how's the Lord ever going to use a guy like me? Or, Lord, I'm just, I'm, I'm just some idiot. I'm some recovering drug addict. I mean, how are you ever going to use me for anything? Or maybe you, I'm just some kid. I'm just some youth. What am I going to do? Maybe that's your prayer life, but let this verse radically transform your prayer life Pray for big things. Pray for great fruit in your life. Whatever that looks like, Lord, I desire great fruit. I desire fruit that's going to bring glory to your name. I want to see big things happen. I want to see radical things happen in this youth ministry and in your lives. Why? Because the Father is glorified through it. Stop with the false humility, I'm just a kid. 
pray for radical things that the Father may be glorified in our lives. If you need a supernatural work of the Spirit in your lives, it's as simple as asking. This is what I love about Scripture. It's so simple. Kids understand it. It is simple as that. All you have to do is ask. That's it. I'm going to have the worship team come up, or worship person, one person, I don't know, or the whole team coming. Just you. That's it. That's all we need. And I'm going to read a verse to you guys. And I want you to pray on this. And I want you to ponder this. I want you to think about this. And I know I went long. I'm sorry. I know you're used to that. I hear Alan's long-winded. Poor Alan. He's on vacation right now, sick. You know, we should do something nice for him. Something nice for Alan. Somebody think of something nice to do for Alan while he's sick. Maybe create a Christian uh, mingle account for him. Do you guys got pictures of Alan, like really nice pictures? You know, we'll create the whole account. We'll get him a whole bunch of hits. No. But in all seriousness, oh, I totally lost them. I blew it. In all seriousness, I'm going to read some verses out of Luke for you. I'm going to read some verses out of Luke for you. Luke 11, verses 11 through 13. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Where is he? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? See, I mean, you don't need to be a scholar to understand what he's saying here. If you ask your father for something good, you're earthly fathers. Or if you don't have a dad, your mom. If you ask your mom for something you need, Mom, I need some food. Dad, I need some food. I'm hungry. Are they not going to give it to you? Are they not going to bless you with your necessities? They care about you. They love you. Of course they are. They know you need it. They brought you in this world with every desire and intention to give you and bless you with what you need. It's my greatest joy to give my son what he needs. There's nothing sweeter than when my son asks me for things. My son's two and a half. His name is Eli. He looks just like me, so you can imagine he's the handsomest boy in the world. And he calls himself E.I. He's so sweet. E.I. And he'll say, for E.I.? And he's saying, is it for me? Yes, it's for you. See, I'm so willing to give my son the things he needs. 
I'm sometimes also willing to give him the things he doesn't need because I love him. Now, the important verse. Let's take a look. Verse 13. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Do you need the Spirit in your life? Do you want your life to matter? You need the Spirit of the Lord. What God could do with a room full of youth who are empowered by the Spirit of God. What transformation we would see in this area, in this church, if we had a group of young people submitted and filled with the Spirit of God. 